Coming up on Studios America, Drew Holden joins us to help mock the CDC's constant self-owning on COVID guidance. Andy Cohen gets a little tipsy on CNN's New Year's coverage and accidentally says what all New Yorkers are thinking. And the year 2021 is finally dead and buried. May it rest in hell. So how can we make sure this year doesn't sink to such horrible depths? Let's find out as we do America's 2022 resolutions. Stu does America. First show of the new year. Welcome to 2022. Year three of this stupid little show and year three of the pandemic. Uh, We brought the pandemic to you. It was really us who did it when we started this show. Oh, the pandemic was just a glimmer in like Italy's eye. And sure, some people were being welded into apartments in China, but we were here totally wondering whether this was going to fade out of the news in like a couple of weeks. And then here we are in 2022, still freaking talking about it. Welcome to America. This has been a lot of fun so far. And I hope uh, if, as long as the show stays on the air, we always have a pandemic to talk about. I don't want it to go away. I don't know how to do a show anymore if we're not talking about a virus. This is how it works. But I want to say it's 2022 and we have an opportunity to change things a little bit. We have an opportunity to look forward into the future and make this year better than the crap heaps that the last two have been, right? We can work together. We can come up with some ideas to make this year better. And I think a list of New Year's resolutions, not for us. Yes, of course, I want to be less fat. We all know that everybody makes that resolution every single year. I want to do a little less heroin. I mean, not get rid of it completely, but like keep it to the weekends. There's a lot of things that everybody kind of comes together on when it comes to New Year's resolutions. But America as a country, what should our resolutions be for 2022? I have some proposals for you, and I'd like to go through them right now. Starting with this one, stop putting Anthony Fauci on television. This is a resolution we can actually really easily achieve. Yes, he wants to be on television all the time, but you don't have to put him on. You don't have to have Anthony Fauci on television on every show every single day. It's not a requirement. It's not found in the U.S. Constitution. I know it's surprising. And you might say, well, of course, you know, you evil conservatives don't want to hear from the brilliant mind of Anthony Fauci. But no, I'm not even making that argument today. I'll make that argument a bunch of other times in 2022, but I'm not even making that argument today. Let me give you a clip from Anthony Fauci just this past weekend that I think will illustrate my uh, need for this resolution better than any other. Listen. The other important thing is that if you look at the children who are hospitalized, many of them are hospitalized with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. And what we mean by that If a child goes in the hospital, they automatically get tested for COVID and they get counted as a COVID hospitalized individual Hmm. when in fact they may go in for a broken leg or appendicitis or something like that. So it's overcounting the number of children who are, quote, hospitalized with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. How did you feel when you listen to that? How did that make you feel? Did it make you feel good? Did it make you feel bad? My guess is it made you feel incredibly angry, right? Because what is Anthony Fauci saying there? 
that kids go, are going in there not because they have COVID, but they're going in with a broken leg and they're just testing positive for COVID. It's all it's all overdone. Now, this is why Anthony Fauci should no longer be on television. That clip probably made you angry. However, what he is saying there is literally the thing you've been saying for the past two years and that I've been saying for the past two years. He hasn't been saying it. We've been saying it for the past two years. And now Anthony Fauci is on television saying the same thing we've been saying for the past two years, and it still pisses us off. What good does this guy do going on television? No matter what he says, all of us are going to be annoyed at him, and everybody on the left is going to give him uh, hugs and kisses and act like he's the sexiest man in America. There is no purpose. He's moving no one at this point. He's just the most easily bookable guest for every television show. And lazy producers are looking at him and just saying, I don't know. We, everyone else felt, just put Fauci on again. And Fauci is always available. He wants to go on TV. You don't have to put him on TV. Remember that. All television producers uh, from now on. Another resolution for America in 2022. Stop using COVID-19 cases as a real metric. They just don't matter anymore. How long have we been talking about this? This is another thing that we've basically been making the case of since the very beginning. Hospitalizations and deaths are a better measure. Even those aren't perfect. ICU admissions may be better than hospitalizations. But all of these things add up to the idea that it's been a really long time since cases have really made sense to measure as an important metric. Yes, I mean, sure, it's interesting to note. We're noting now with Omicron that, yes, it's very transmissible. And I guess you can get that from cases. But that is not, there's nothing to base horror show coverage on when you look at these charts. There's nothing to base public policy on when you look at these charts. It's just a metric that has long outlived its necessity. Even the New York Times has been reporting this recently. And maybe we shouldn't be looking at cases anymore. And again, that might piss you off. And there's a good reason for it, because they've been saying the opposite for the whole time. While we've been saying, you know, case is not really all that important. However, I'm glad they're here to the party. I'm glad Fauci's here to the first party. I'm glad the Times is here to this party. Let's all move forward, okay? Now, look, here's, here's what the case graph looks like right now. This is the, uh, this is the chart uh, from the New York Times. As you see, Omicron variant, as you've probably uh, recognized going over the holidays, is very, very transmissible, and lots and lots of people are getting it. I had multiple relatives get it over the holidays. It's kind of one of those things that everyone seems to be getting. Uh, however, deaths are not moving anywhere near like they have with previous variants, supporting the idea that Omicron is a less virulent uh, variant and also uh, supporting the fact that there's a lot of immunity out there, uh, natural and otherwise. So you have that going on. Let me give you another view of this. This is New York um, and New York. This they gave you. Uh, this is a New York Times chart as well, and it gives you cases, hospitalizations and deaths on the same chart. And once again, you can see that cases, hospitalizations, and death, deaths look pretty similar for these, you know, in the last six months until Omicron comes along, and then you see cases go through the roof, and the other two barely budge at all. If you don't you know, want to look at New York, you want to look at Florida. That's what the media is always obsessed with. Well, Florida's got the same picture here. Florida's got all three of the lines moving relatively close to each other earlier in the year and have totally diverged from each other now, where deaths have not gone up. In fact, they've gone down a little bit. Hospitalizations are up a tick. But the cases are through the roof. 
That's the Omicron story for you. And it really is uh, get, teaching the lesson, I think, once and for all. And I think finally the media is on board with this as well. The cases are just not the most important metric. As you know, uh, if you've watched this show since the beginning, back in September of 2020, I myself became a COVID-19 survivor. Yes, I pushed through a completely asymptomatic case that I wouldn't even have known that I had if not for a positive test that I took because somebody I went to dinner with also tested positive. That was it. I mean, nobody in my family had anything. We all had eight, we all tested positive, but we were all asymptomatic. We moved on with our life after a beautiful October week at home in Texas. That was kind of the whole thing. And we're going to get to that point a little bit faster now. Now, the next couple weeks, I will say, because these numbers are so high, we may see some real problems. And it could have to do with uh, you know, a lot of people being called out of work. Right. If you're positive for covid, you got to stay home for now only five days, which they've just recently changed. But five days out of work, if enough people test positive, a lot of places are going to shut down because they don't have workers. And that's probably going to happen here and there over the next few weeks. But if South Africa and uh, the UK are any uh, indication, this looks like it could be, you know, maybe mid January. And then this thing starts ticking down the other way and goes away. We can only hope. Right. Who knows what's around the corner? I will say that this this situation with cases is made even more extreme because of the rise in home uh, tests. Uh, You know, when I tested positive for my brutal battle with COVID-19 back in 2020, you know, I took a test at one of the public testing facilities. They knew I tested positive. That counted in the cases, I'm sure. If I tested positive today, it would almost definitely be a private home test. And I mean, am I telling anybody? Probably not. I'm just going to stay home. For a few days. So that's the uh, that's the situation there. And I do think uh, we're sort of getting sort of breaching that a little bit. We're finally clearing that hurdle. Uh, so we'll see if that continues. Good resolution. Stop thinking about cases. Let's think about the important things. Another important 2022 resolution. Stop making violent rioters into heroes. Now, this one I bring up specifically because you are about to have a very annoying week. Your week is going to suck. This, vic- this You're coming into 2022. You're th- you have optimism right now. You're thinking, maybe I'm going to have a salad later on for dinner. In reality, number one, you're going to eat chocolate cake for dinner. Okay, that's just going to happen. And number two, it's going to be on Thursday, the anniversary of January 6th. So there's going to be nonstop annoying coverage and people lying about how, uh, you know, everybody uh, was in on it. I think, uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump was actually the guy in the horn hat, you know, sitting at, you know, Nancy Pelosi's desk. And you're going to hear all that stuff all week long. They're going to revel in January 6th coverage all week long. So two things I want to say here. Number one, it's important to note that January 6th did suck. There were some really bad people on January 6th that did some really bad things. There are dozens of people who are charged, not with just entering the Capitol, but with assaulting police officers. And if you know anything about me, and I think that probably the, the, the same is true with you, I don't care about politics all that much, honestly. Like, I certainly want my side to win because I like the policies involved. But, like, politics is never going to trump, um, you know, police officers in the line of duty getting assaulted. It's just not going to happen. I'm, I'm never going to go over that line. Uh, there was some really bad stuff that went on uh, that day, and we should be calling it out. And I think we have. You know, I mean, I've been very clear about it. I'm, I'm sure you probably have, too. The people who actually were violent at the Capitol should be punished, and I have no problem with that. On the other side of things, we should also note that when it comes to the summer, 
There will be no big day-by-day anniversary remembrance of what happened during the George Floyd riots all across the country. You will not get, hey, you remember when Wichita burned down this day? And oh, this was the day that Philadelphia burned down. And all of the things that went on through that process, no one's going to remember any of it, with the exception of they will do an anniversary for the day George Floyd died, and they will do an anniversary for those uh, those peaceful gatherings, and they will be remembered as a positive, as a positive. All the stuff that went on over that summer will be remembered as heroic and how people stood up for what was right in the world. Let's not lionize any violent rioters. I see no need for it. Another resolution for us, stop lionizing the big violent rioters. Another resolution for you, stop the patriarchy from destroying women's achievements. Look, this one's simple. If a dude is a swimmer and he's on a college swimming team and then he decides to go to, I don't know, uh, the, the female side of things and then dominates and beats every woman by 40 seconds, let's not get so excited about it. Maybe we should let women actually participate in women's sports. I just saw a story over the weekend that there's a new, the first ever women's Jeopardy champion won or something, some big achievement. I don't know exactly the category because I know women have won Jeopardy before, but there was some big tournament or something they won. And it, it was a guy. It was a trans guy that was, or I guess a trans woman, a guy who used to be a guy and now is saying they're a woman. You don't get to break the glass ceiling when you're a dude. How about this? Just a quick rule. You can't break glass ceilings if, if you got a, you got a dingle dangle. Which is a, I mean, it's a basic rule. This isn't a, this is not a high-level rule. You know, I don't know if, if it's something we need to discuss further, but I think you understand. Um, another resolution. Stop believing anything Joe Manchin says. This is one that I've been able to stick by for quite a long time. For a long time, you know, we went back and forth for this for a while of making a T-shirt that says, Joe Manchin will not save you. Because if what you are depending on is to be saved by Joe Manchin, this will not work. And you might say, wait a minute. Right before we went to Christmas vacation, we heard the opposite. Joe Manchin did save us. He stepped in and he said, I'm not going to vote for this thing because it's too much money. Too much money for this Build Back Better and I won't be a part of it. And then like eight seconds later, he was like, unless I'm a part of it, unless I come back and negotiate later and you do something that I want and then I'm totally in. Well, we have a new uh, breaking uh, story here. This is from Axios Today. Joe Manchin is open to re-engaging on the climate and child care provisions in President Biden's Build Back Better agenda if the White House removes the enhanced child tax credit from the $1.75 trillion package or dramatically lowers the income caps for eligible families, people familiar with the matter tell Axios. So, I mean, this is not a hard pull for the Democrats. All they have to do is say, okay, before we were saying people up to $100,000 could get the tax credit. I don't remember the exact number, but it's something like that. And now we have to say it's 50 or whatever. Another way, or in other words, he's going to find a way to vote for one $1.5, $1.75 trillion. He's going to do it because he wants to do it. He's always wanted to do it. And he acts like a force against this crazy spending because he's in West Virginia and he wants to fool West Virginia voters. Don't let him fool you if you are in West Virginia. Another resolution that's not actually part of our list. Another resolution, 2022, transform the mainstream media into something slightly less horrible. This is a big one and almost impossible, but you know, it's like me saying my New Year's resolution is to make the major leagues. I'm probably not gonna happen, but I can have a goal, right? 
You just be out there and you can hope for it. Um, let me give you a couple of potential examples here of, of what it would be. This is, this is like a vision of what I would kind of like to see. And let me give it to you from MSNBC of all places. Here is Chris Hayes talking about COVID. To stop something that infectious, something with a R naught of 10, you would need essentially 100% vaccination. Like it's like stamping out measles. You, you basically have to, everyone to get to herd immunity. And we don't have that. Mm-hmm. And so short of instituting just extremely uh, dramatic lockdowns, things like we had in March and April where every business and school and all that stuff closes, this variant's going to spread like crazy. Mm-hmm. And it is exactly what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And so this moment is, in some ways, one of the weirdest of the pandemic. Mm. We're nearing the two-year mark and all of a sudden dealing with a somewhat different beast in some ways. So we hadn't quite had an illness this infectious and this possible to cause serious illness to something that does look more like the flu. Huh. And the flu, of course, can still be dangerous, kills tens of thousands of Americans every year, but we don't orient our lives around the flu. Hmm. So that's closer to the level of risk that, you know, 200 million Americans or less than that are now dealing with. And then when you add in the sheer exhaustion, many people feel, and I don't have to tell you this, I'm sure, because you're just feeling this yourself, many of you, with the lengths of this disruption in their lives. Obviously, the politics of the pandemic are just completely different than they were earlier in the pandemic. (laughs) It's where now Chris Hayes sounds like you, too. I do think it's important to understand when these things come out. And, and you know, look, they don't always hit these moments, the, you know, at the same time we do. But when they do get there, this should be something that we embrace. Yes, you're there. You're right. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to taking you to task for your old statements in a little bit. But let's get all this crap done first. And, and I do think that going back to the old statements is important. It's important to go back and hold people accountable for the statements that they make. And this is one way that the media actually could make a difference and try to improve their standing with the American people. This is from uh, the second debate, Joe Biden and Donald Trump from the 2020 election. Uh, it's October 22nd, 2020. Listen to uh, senile Joe. 220,000 Americans dead. You hear nothing else I say tonight. Hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control, in fact, not saying I'm, I take no responsibility initially, anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. Now, you may be interested to know that 220,000 deaths is a bit higher for Joe Biden. In fact, he has over 418,000 deaths since he's been president of the United States. Now, technically, a lot of people are comparing 2020 to 2021. Trump was part was president, obviously, for part of 2021 as well. Um, so it's you can't really do, you know, year to year comparisons are a little bit fraught for a bunch of reasons. Uh, vaccines, tr- treatments, variants, uh, you know, how widely the virus spread early on not to mention just the change in people's behavior. People are doing things, um, you know, differently now. But the point here is Joe Biden knew at that time saying he was going to shut down the virus was ridiculous. You know who else knew it? Everybody in the media. They all knew it was insane. They all knew he couldn't do it. They all knew it wasn't flipping a switch for a president to shut down the virus. It's just not a thing. It's not been a thing anywhere in the world. It's not a thing that a president can do, especially in a country with a constitution like ours. But instead, they ignored the ridiculousness of that statement because they wanted the end game. And the end game, of course, was to get Donald Trump out of office. So they went along with the ridiculousness. And at no point, even at the point where two times as many people 
have died since when he made that statement. At no point does the media go back and say, you know what? We were we should have called that out at the time. That was asinine. It was a ridiculous standard and we should have called it out then. They just don't do that. And that's the thing uh, that they could do. Let me give this last one before we go. I know we're running late. A lot of things we think of that are bad and we want to turn them around. But sometimes we do good things and we want to keep them going. Like, for example, if in 2021 you lost 30 pounds, your resolution in 2022 might not to be to lose another 30. You might not need to. But it might just be to keep that 30 pounds off. And that's why our final resolution is keep 2022 Cuomo free. In 2022, we lost Andrew Cuomo first. Mm-hmm. Oh, remember this moment. And then we lost, uh, oh, this was sad, Chris Cuomo. We lost them both. We lost that weight. We, we together lost 400 pounds of Cuomo. Let's keep that weight off going forward in 2022. So if you don't think we can have any of the American resolutions we talked about today uh, done, you may want to look somewhere else. And if you're tired of rising taxes and increasing inflation and a stock market bubble and all the craziness that goes on here, all the spending and uh, all the all the wild uh, behavior you're seeing in this country sometimes, uh, if you don't want to watch your retirement, you know, just waste away uh, and you want to look for something different. Uh, then you want to listen to uh, my friends uh, who are talking about the country of Panama. Now, it all starts in Panama here. Every dollar in your savings account is worth up to 10 times more than it is here. We know it's a good value. Uh, Taxes are like 0%. You've probably heard that over the years. Uh, And where they haven't had a financial crisis in over 20 years, even in 2008. Uh, You can live on the beach in comfort for $24,000 a year. Uh, there's a lot of really cool benefits if you're thinking about a vacation home, if you're thinking about an investment home, if you're thinking about maybe moving, you got to check it out. Check out the American's Guide to Living and Retiring in Panama from uh, our friends over at Buy Panama Now. It's 100% free uh, for the audience. And of course, you can head over to buypanamanow.com slash stew. Get your copy today. Buypanamanow.com slash stew. Check it out now. It's buypanamanow.com slash stew. I couldn't ask for a better first guest in this new year than Drew Holden. You know him, of course, from his popular Twitter threads, holding a bunch of jerks accountable for their hypocrisy. Be sure to give him a follow over there at Drew Holden 360. Drew, welcome to the program. Stu, pleasure's mine, sir. Appreciate you having me back on. All right. Happy New Year. Um, yeah, happy New Year, too. It is a it's it's a it's an interesting start to the year. I want to start here. Um, I have a very low expectation level for federal agencies. Uh, I don't expect yeah. much from them. I figure they're going to do a bad job most of the time. The CDC yep. right now, however, is really setting a new standard for incompetence. Right. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, that's spot on. So, Stu, we just had some recent guidance change from the CDC, which if it sounds like I've mentioned that before, I probably have maybe about a thousand times. The latest is that the CDC has issued some guidance shortening the window that people need to quarantine if they've been exposed to COVID or if they have symptoms. Um, This, mind you, only after a new variant that has been impacting blue states comes out uh, and a lot of frustration and chatter at the time about how these long isolations that the rest of the country have been forced to suffer through, those simply couldn't cut it for uh, the folks who have 
done all the right things all along. Yeah, it's interesting because, look, I mean, we all look at the science every day. I'm not, you know, I'm not some virologist, but we spend a lot of time going over this stuff. And this sort of change seems actually pretty rational to me, right? I mean, it, it, 10 days right. to me seems completely absurd. They're, they say 90% of the infections and the, and, the, and the transmission happens within these five days. So shortening it makes sense. It's just that like, it doesn't seem like these changes come from a position of science. Uh, they change it to five days. Now they want to add a testing requirement after getting pressure right. from other groups. Like pressure is supposed to be what science is supposed to ignore. It's not supposed to have anything to do with pressure. Exactly. And Stu, most of this pressure is coming from pretty well-heeled financially and politically powerful organizations, right? Not only has it been a lot of folks in the press who have had a lot of objections to the new CDC guidance, but the uh, the nursing association, uh, you know, a lobbying group that represents nurses, their union, they've come out against this rule. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of kind of commentary and chatter about how workers feel disposable because of this new rule. And so all of a sudden you do have these, these forces that push back. And mind you, in a very narrow window. The new CDC guidance came out less than a week ago. And now just today, Dr. Fauci said that new, uh, he called it a clarification <laughs> of the guidance is apparently coming down the pike uh, to, to make it, I guess, make more sense. And it's incredible when you think about it, because Stu, I think you make a really good point about how science is kind of one of the few things we should have that should be unassailable from these sorts of political pressures. And yet we saw almost overnight that a handful of organizations and then a lot of media people putting a little bit of pressure on a rule that they don't like almost instantly forces the science to then correct itself. Yeah. And again, like there's a couple of institutions that are supposed to be outside of that back and forth. Science is one of them. The courts right. are another. And we've seen over the past, I think, you know, few months in, in particular, the courts have done a pretty good job at ignoring mm -hmm. the craziness that is in the media and the back and forth and, and all of that. It, and that's exactly what it's supposed to do. Uh, science does right. not seem to be doing uh, the same thing and, and hitting that standard. And it's frustrating to watch because even as we point out, some of these changes are moving closer to what conservatives want. But we've been beat right. over the head that we're, we're evil, that we are going to get kicked off of social media for mentioning that this might yep. be a good idea. And now uh, the media just comes in and says, OK, we've changed it to what you guys have been saying for the past year and we're not even going to acknowledge it. Right. And at no point is there any effort to reconcile those two opinions and how they differed over time. Right. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of conservatives find really frustrating is that for years now, right, as we enter kind of calendar year three of this pandemic, for years it has been the science has said, the science has said, the science has said. And all of a sudden, you know, one, I think one of the interesting parts of this of this ruling, which I agree with you, I think it does make a lot of sense, is you saw the director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, just came out and said, we we had to shorten this because we didn't think people were going to do it, right? We, we didn't think that people would be able to tolerate a 10-day lockdown. And it's like, wow, no kidding. Um, amazing, because at no point previously do I think that people were more inclined to be willing to tolerate these really long lockdowns. It's just that now it seems like when there's a different group of stakeholders who all of a sudden are very concerned about these new restrictions and limitations, well, a little bit more of a common sense overlay kind of comes in on all of these things. And so conservatives, even when we agree with the rationale and what's happened, I think it leads a lot of us, you and I included, kind of sitting back and saying, well, what what are we doing here, guys? And what have we been doing all along if these are the, the measures that we're willing to roll out when it's convenient? Mm. You've been posting a lot of these on your Twitter account, some moments of hypocrisy uh, that yeah. we saw. Another great example of this is 
we saw for a while kids are resilient. They can go, they can do homeschooling, they can do it on, on Zoom, they'll be completely fine. Now the science is coming out and telling us that there's been real negative effects of these policies that we were supposed to right. ignore uh, for the first year and a half of this. We were supposed to just say, no, uh, we have to keep these kids at home. Why are you whining about socialization when lives are on the, lives are on the line? Why do you want to kill grandma? Now all mm-hmm. the science is coming out on the opposite side of that. And again, I don't see any reconciliation attempt. Yeah, and unfortunately, Sue, none of it's, I don't think, is, is particularly shocking, right? I, I actually wrote about a number of these different issues over a year ago now, in, in late December of, of 2020, because we had pretty pretty conclusive studies about what things like isolation do to people, particularly teenagers, about the negative impacts of not being in a classroom setting when it comes to learning. A lot of this information was widely available when we were trying to make these decisions. And you're right, again, when anyone objected, even in the slightest, that, hey, maybe there are other things we should consider or other things that we should be willing to take into account when we're making some of these decisions, rather than this mantra of if it even saves one life, it has to be worth it. You were called anti-science, right? You were thrown under the bus as someone who isn't taking the pandemic seriously, who doesn't take the lives and well-being of children seriously, when all along that's been entirely misguided. And now, unfortunately, we are starting to see the the scientific results of what it says uh, about those decisions and the long-term damage that's already being done to kids. Mm. Uh, uh, One of the more obvious political ones to me that really hit me reading the quotes and watching the clips again was this idea that Joe Biden was going to shut down the virus, right? He was going to get elected. He's going to shut down the virus. We played the clip a little earlier where he said in a debate, you know, anyone with 220,000 deaths from a pandemic should not even be allowed to be president. And here he is at 420,000 deaths. No one at any point goes back and says, wait a minute, not only is Joe Biden wrong now, which is something we should acknowledge, he didn't do what he said he was going to do. But it's on us as journalists that are supposed to be, you know, a a wall against misinformation to at the time call out that the president can't come in and flip a switch. Is it just that they wanted the outcome of Trump being gone so badly that they ignore it? And then again, they don't have to go back and 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 reconcile their total lack of of uh, of journalism uh, from back in 2020 when the election was going on. Yeah, you know, Sue, unfortunately, I think that probably was a pretty big driving factor. The other thing that I think is important is that for a lot of people, both within the press and beyond it, they looked at Trump as, as kind of this caricature, right, and not, not for nothing, and said, this guy has no idea what he's doing, he has no idea what he's talking about. We're in this once-in-a-lifetime moment where surely there's something we can do to stop all this horror and the carnage that we see going on around us, and he's not doing it, or he's not taking it seriously, or he's slow-walking, you know, the original deaths and the original kind of outbreaks and that there, there was something wrong there, right? And so I think what happened is is maybe less malicious and more of this kind of blindness to say, well, surely if we had someone better and smarter who understood the, you know, the machinations of government better all along, that things would have been different, they would have been better, what have you. And the harsh reality that I think we've learned in the months since, and I think a lot of us uh, on the other side of the aisle were pretty tuned into from the start was that you know, there's, there's not necessarily a lot we can do with these sorts of things, that lockdowns maybe aren't as effective as we think they are, that school closures don't necessarily stop spreads, that absent kind of this really totalitarian crackdown on everyday life, it's really, really hard to stop a virus. Uh, and it's really hard to stop a virus in a, in a developed country when we have great health care and everything else. But so many journalists were unwilling, I think, to apply that standard as soon as they saw someone who they saw as 
reasonable, respectable, uh, an, an elder statesman, if you will, who was saying we could be doing something different. And rather than actually interrogate that allegation and say, could we have done anything different? Could we actually have moved the needle on this stuff? They said, ah, well, you know, it is this Trump guy. We know he's awful. He's bad, yada, yada, yada. And so surely there had to be something else there. Yeah, I think I think that's a big part of it. I, and it's really frustrating, I, I have to say. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I think you look at like some of these like draconian sort of um, measures. And I think the problem with progressivism in general is so much of this stuff exists in this weird like academic world where like mm -hmm. if we all were hamsters. Right. And, and we could someone was putting us all into cages and isolating us 100 feet away in bubbles. Well, yeah, yeah. there would be no transmission of the virus. We do know that in theory, a lockdown could work. But you're talking about real human beings here who do different things. Right. And one of the things I've been interested about um, over the past, I don't know, week or two, as I've been, you know, I've been on vacation and, and, and watching all this stuff develop, we did a little traveling, is that like, there's a market effect going on here, which is as much as we, as much as the left wants to say they like masks and they like staying in, they like lockdowns, right. you see it in politician after politician. They can't stop yep. themselves from going out to bars and dance clubs because in reality, right. even liberals want to go out and do things. And yeah. I think now we're at that point where I don't know if it's if the administration is finally realizing that they can't control these things anymore. And right. they they want to hold on to this moralistic. We're better than you idea. If you guys would just mm -hmm. listen to the science, we could beat this thing. But in reality, they know even their side is going out to bars. Yep. They're going out to restaurants. And now that they've lost a little bit of control over that and they don't they see it slipping away. Now they're trying to adjust their standards as if, well, we, we don't need to do those things anymore. Right. Is, is that market effect real? Am I seeing that correctly? And yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think that is real. I think one of the things that has really happened across all this, I think uh, you mentioning the academia aspect of this is a, is a good way, a good place to start, because I think in a lot of cases, what, what's happened on the left side of the aisle across this entire pandemic is that there were there were great master's theses to write about how we could shut down the virus, mm. how we could stop it, how everything could go on well that simply haven't survived contact with reality. And rather than go back and say, you know, I guess the, the expectations that led me to that conclusion were wrong, rather than do that, because that's, that's a hard process for anyone to do, right? You'd have to really start to chip away at, well, what are the things that I still believe that are guiding me to believe this thing that, that didn't survive contact with reality? It's a lot easier to move the goalposts on the back end, right? And so you have something like Fauci coming out and saying, hey, you know what, actually, don't look at cases. We're, we're shattering all-time highs, the number of new cases in the country. And he says, you know what, those are actually not really a big deal. We should be focused on deaths and hospitalizations, which, again, Again, the sort of things that conservatives have said all along, like this, the sheer number of cases does, isn't actually a, an effective kind of driver or pointer on any of this information. And so, but rather than actually have to wrestle with that, rather than really have to try and better understand those things and come to grips with what it means from a policy perspective for how you do everything else, it's a lot easier to just kind of ease off the brakes and go back to the life that you and everyone else enjoys and say, well, you know, things have changed. This thing is different. Uh, and I think that's a lot more comfortable for a lot of people. And to the market effect point, yeah, I think you're right. I think it can be really easy to pretend that this kind of, you know, ascetic approach to dealing with the pandemic is something that is good and valuable and noble. And you've got these people who they've got eight masks on in their house with their loved ones because their kid is under two and can't get vaccinated or whatever it is. I think it can be that's miserable. That is a miserable type of existence. And I think for a lot of people, the only way that you can possibly justify that miserable existence is to take all of the information you can marshal and force it through a lens of, well, I had to do this all along. 
Because if I had to do it, that means I am in the moral right to do it. And I didn't just do something dumb and stupid that made me unhappy for a long time. Yeah, I, I, th- I really do think that's it. Hopefully we're getting past it and maybe yeah. we'll, we'll see a little break from this in 2022. Drew Holden, freelance commentary writer. If you're not following him on Twitter, you've got to be at Drew Holden 360. Uh, you're missing out on important uh, info that uh, Drew is putting out there all the time. Drew, thanks so much for doing the show. I appreciate it, man. Stu, pleasure's mine. Thank you for having me. Ah, New Year, New Year's resolutions. That's right, Fatty. Yep, that's what I'm. I, I look at the I look at the mirror. Um, actually, I have a camera that shows my shot. So I was actually talking to myself uh, as I say, "Hey, Fatty, lose some weight." Built Bar is here to save the day. Did you know that they've got so many flavors? There's something for everybody. They've got uh, coconut, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream, and so many more. And if you can't pick a flavor right off the bat, get the mix box. You get two of each of their nine regular flavors. It's diversity. I know, you should embrace diversity. 18 grams of protein, 180 calories or less. Most of them are like more like 140. Uh, and there's only four to five grams of sugar, four to five net carbs. Uh, you wouldn't know that by tasting them though because they actually taste good. They don't taste like cardboard. They're not the protein bars you're used to. Go to built.com. Use the promo code STU15 and save 15% off your first order. The promo code is STU15 for 15% off at built.com. Mega controversy alert 2022. Patton Oswalt, the comedian, decided to post a picture of himself on Instagram with his friend, Dave Chappelle. Dun, dun, dun. So everyone gets pissed off at Patton Oswalt because you're not allowed to be friends with Dave Chappelle anymore. Uh, People were very upset because Dave Chappelle is anti-trans or something. Um, And of course, obviously, Patton Oswalt, being the brave man that he is, completely folded immediately on top of his friend. Here's what he wrote. He said, I saw a friend I hadn't seen in a long time, New Year's Eve. We've known each other since we were teens. He's a fellow comedian, the funniest I've ever met. I wanted to post a pic and an IG story about it, so I did. The friend is Dave Chappelle. 34 years we've been friends. We've done good and bad gigs, open mics and TV tapings, but we also 100% disagree about transgender rights and representation. I'm an LGBTQ ally. I'm a loyal friend. I'm sorry, truly sorry, that I didn't consider the hurt this would cause or the depth of that hurt. I wanted a nice comment thread about a picture with my friend. Uh, so easy to think someone else needs growth and miss the need in yourself. Gonna keep trying. This ridiculous nonsense. I mean, you know, if you listen to the stuff Dave Chappelle said about the trans situation, 99% of it is just him talking about how ridiculous the debate is around it. You say one thing that's slightly out of line and you get blown up, blasted on Twitter. Everyone hates you immediately. And I thought about... Um, uh, one time I heard a really interesting point on this matter uh, from a comedian. His name, uh, Patton Oswalt. I could not be a more committed, progressive, feminist, pro-gay, pro-transgender person, but I cannot keep up with the glossary of correct terms, <laughs> damn it. I'm trying. I want to help, but holy they ch- it's like a secret club pass where they change it every week and then you're in trouble. That's not the word we use. <laughs> you just, it was last week. <laughs> I have hemorrhoids. My ass is f- falling out. I want to help. I know I'm an old cis white mother. <laughs> but don't give me because I didn't know the right term. <laughs> RuPaul, RuPaul got into for saying tranny. Ru. Oh! <laughs> RuPaul! 
who she laid down on the barbed wire of discrimination throughout the 70s and 80s so this new generation could run across her back and yell at her for saying tranny. <laughs> it's that is, it's the entire debate in a nutshell. And the, you know, the second you get online in this day and age, you forget even the things you've said before. Back in a second. So how did you sleep last night? I know I slept like a baby, thanks to Cozy Earth. I've got Cozy Earth sheets on my bed, and they are the best. The softest, most luxurious, best temperature-regulating sheets on the planet. They breathe so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all year round. The moisture-wicking fabric. I don't even, I mean, I can just tell you. This is my experience with them. They're freaking awesome. Okay, they're really soft. They feel great uh, when you get into bed. They have clothes that are awesome as well. Uh, really just soft, really nice material. Some of the stuff, it's, it's softer than anything I've ever felt before. Cozy Earth offers uh, a 100-night sleep trial. Uh, that means you have up to 100 nights to sleep on it, wash it, try it out. Make sure you're completely in love with it, or you can send it back for a full refund. Cozy Earth uh, sheets now come in four awesome new colors. You can check out the four colors uh, and save 35% at Cozy Earth Bedding when you visit CozyEarth.com. Use the promo code STU, and that's 35% off at CozyEarth.com. The promo code would be STU. So the last thing we left with in 2021 was the Power Hour. And uh, first of all, I'd like to apologize for it, as I always do after every Power Hour. Go to studospowerhour.com to check it out. Had a bunch of comments as well. Adam says, you had me spitting all over my monitor because of laughter. That's an important uh, disclaimer when you're talking about Power Hour. Stu missed at least three shots. Typical Eagles fan. I never miss a shot on Power Hour. These are, these are lies. Um, Edmund says, there are many constants to these, but one of my favorites is Stu's increasing insistence that that was not a minute. They aren't. They shorten them later on. I'm, I'm almost positive. Uh, Mark says, Sarah and Lisa could be si sisters. Uh, their faces are very similar. That's interesting. It's Sarah Gonzalez and my wife, Lisa Page. Uh, and Lisa, my wife, says, I love her like a sis. I noticed Sarah didn't respond there. I guess she just, she's a hater, is all I can say. Typical news and why it matters. A typical Cowboys fan if I could say it that way. And you got to add bong hits next year from Jerry. All right, Power Hour next one is going to be in Colorado. Back in a second. I don't spend a lot of time on this program complimenting CNN, but I will say I did love this. Let me tell you something. Cheers. Oh, please. Tell us something, Andy. Watching Mayor de Blasio Oh, don't go on a rant. Do his don't go on a rant. victory lap dance don't, don't, don't. after four years <laughs> of the, the crappiest term as the mayor of New York. The That's only thing the that Democrats and Republicans can That's agree how, on I mean, is what a horrible mayor he has he, been. Wow. So sayonara, sucker. <laughs> Wow. 2022. I mean, it's a new year. Because guess what? I have a feeling of which, I'm going to be standing right here which. next year. And you know who I'm not going to be looking at? Dancing as the city comes aboard. You. <laughs> I got to say, I, I love that we are all Andy Cohen now. And we can bring ourselves together to say how terrible Bill de Blasio is 
in every single way possible.